everybody. Welcome to another episode of Design Recharge. I'm your host, Diane Gibbs, and I'm excited to bring you my friend, Taylor Cashton. He has a very um, exciting and interesting story that you wouldn't have thought would have happened to a 24-year-old. Actually, I don't even think you would have think that would it would have happened to somebody under 50, maybe. That's fair. <laughs> um, so it is, but we live in a stressful industry. And in this industry, we tend to like the stress or put ourselves in that situation. And that's what we're going to be talking about today with Taylor. Taylor, Give them a little bit of your background. And again, we're trying the new format thing and Taylor's going to take us through some slides and a little presentation. But can you give us a little bit of your background? Because you didn't start out as a designer, right? Right. So I actually, I went to, I went to NC State University um, and I changed majors uh, seven times in my four and a half semesters. Um, it was, uh, I found out there was a way where you can kind of take whatever courses you wanted, um, because the way NC State works is like they get you right into the major specific courses very quickly, which is awesome because you can like learn what you like and don't like. So I just kept switching and they didn't, they didn't like it very much. I got very friendly with registration and records, <laughs> but, um, I ended up graduating with an education degree. So not even, uh, kind of a side related to design with like a sub kind of minor, but not, not specifically in it. So then you get a job doing what? So I, I, I immediately when I got to college, I started at this high, the newspaper because I went from like high school doing the newspaper thing into college and needed something familiar. So I went there and I was doing design for their basically their page layouts and kind of rose up in the ranks there. I was design editor and then managing editor, which just controls production. Um, and I got my feet wet in like understanding like tight schedules because we had nightly deadlines, right? So I, I started learning that. Um, I had friends in organizations that were doing like they needed like logos for their club and that kind of stuff. So I kind of started doing what could be considered freelance work, right? Um, and then once I got to like junior year, it was time to like do the internship thing. And I started, uh, interning at a company as their first ever like graphic designer. Um, and that's kind of where it all kicked out. I just started doing like infographics and slide decks and little like graphics for their presentations or their initiatives. And it just steamrolled <laughs> from then on out. But it wasn't like your job. I mean, your job was stressful working at a magazine or a newspaper with these tight deadlines. You work long hours. You have to get things done. People put things on you at the last minute. And it's stressful because one, you're empathetic and you're trying to make sure the client's needs are met. You're not just like, well, whatever, I'll just throw something together. You actually care about your work. So that's one of the things that we all can kind of relate to, right? Um, right. The other thing is that you tended, and I think uh, you've pulled back some, you've had to learn, but you tended to over, um, overstack your plate. You would do, oh, yeah. you were volunteer. You would do these freelance things. You would do kind of paint that picture for us as what yep. like a 24 year old was doing in his free time and things like yeah. that. So we're going to go into this a little bit with the slides, but to give you the brief overview is I, I like to be a part of anything I was interested in. And that meant anything from additional freelance stuff or clubs or um, external things like professional organizations or creating art projects or something. I mean, it, you can't see, but there's a big table in the middle of my office here that's got an art project that I've been working two and a half weeks on that I thought would take like maybe six hours. And it's, it's like I start things and I get deep into them and then I like, I'm like, oh, I get distracted. It's like almost like ADD, but without... I understand that's a little more serious than I'm, I'm implying it is, but like that initial shifting of focus and I would have all these like things started and then I would feel guilty that I wasn't finishing them. So then I'd have to finish them, you know, so it led to all nighters and long nights and it was all self-imposed. You're right. Uh, Taylor, that is ADD. Uh, just so you know, <laughs> like a uh, textbook, Great. what it is, uh, but you know, whatever, if you don't want to call it ADD, <laughs> like that's okay. I got diagnosed at 46. So go ahead. It's okay. Well, there you go. The medicine well, the, helps. We were, uh, revelations today, right? <laughs> right. All right. So you want to jump into um, Let's do it. the deck? Okay. Share that. Okay. Is my screen sharing? We see the mountains. Now we see stress addiction. Fantastic. Okay. Well, thanks again, everyone, for uh, attending this fantastic uh, Design Recharge session. And thank you, Diane, again, for having me. This is a lot of fun. Uh, anytime I get to share this story and then hear people's reaction to it is always, is always a new experience. Um, but before we get deep into it, I realize some of you guys will be tuning in through the audio-only version. And I promise that the slides I'm showing over the live stream itself are just to reinforce what I'll be talking to. So you won't be missing out on you know any big points. They're just some cool graphics that help deliver. So I wanted to get that off in the beginning. 
Um, but I like to start this talk out with a little bit of a poll, which is a little difficult to do over a, a video, but I can give you kind of the recap of how this has worked in the past, right? So um, the collected results have been staggeringly similar every time. And I usually ask things like, how many of you have been so stressed out after a day of work that you need some isolation time to yourself at home to just recharge and get your bearings, right? That's kind of question number one. And then everyone like raises their hand. And question number two is often, how many times have you been slapped to the project at the last minute, often trying to pull your hair out to get it done, right? Whether that's at work or at home or whatever, you know? And then I finish with, well, how many of you just couldn't say no to something you were asked to take on or help out with because you felt bad about saying no, or you thought you were passing up on some golden opportunity? Right, and every time, by the time I get through those three questions, the entire room has their hands raised, right? Whether you relate to one, two, or all three of these things, right? And if you're you know, at home or, or at, at your job or wherever nodding and saying, yep, this is me, then today and my, my, what I'm gonna talk to you today might serve as a bit of a warning, right? Um, my story and the other things I'm gonna talk about take place in the workplace, at home, in our social lives, and all the places in between. Um, I'm gonna start off telling you a little bit about myself and how I got here. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about the way the brain works. I'll tell you a story and then I'll close with some things I've learned and then we have plenty of time for Q&A and discussion. As Diane said, uh, my name is Taylor Cashtan. Um, I'm currently a principal designer at Fidelity Investments working on design systems and standardization and I'm also the director of Uniting People for the Raleigh chapter of AIGA. Uh, I also host a really cool live art competition called Basement Battle here in North Carolina and I co-run a coffee brand called Black Soul Club. And I have a fairly regular freelance roster of clients that I serve throughout the year. So generally, you can already sense my pattern of over-involvement, right? And this is just the stuff that I've pruned down from normal, right? Or what I used to do. But if you talk about way, way before this, I was born uh, in the center of Long Island, New York. And in 2003, in search for like a more sustainable lifestyle and to escape some of that you know, New York grind, uh, my family moved to North Carolina. And it was right as I was finishing up the fifth grade, which in New York is part of elementary school. And then you're still there for sixth grade in elementary, not, and then they have junior high, which is only seven and eighth. So when I moved here, we moved in fifth grade because I would start middle school with everyone in sixth grade. So starting middle and high school in North Carolina, I was part of every club that would accept me, every curricular we can afford. And it wasn't because my parents were the type that want to like ship, you know, their kids off to keep them busy. I just genuinely enjoyed having a packed schedule and I constantly wanted to be involved with anything around me. And when I got to college, uh, there was no different, right? I was a full-time student, editor of the college newspaper, like we were talking about a minute ago. I was starting to do some freelance stuff, and I had a contract gig with HBO, basically doing field marketing for Raleigh-Durham, which was awesome. We would host events and screenings. It, it was a blast. But then when I left college and went to the professional world, I started to just sub out these activities for other activities, right? Oftentimes, just adding to that list. Full-time job, freelancing, helping run events and meetup groups, becoming more active in professional organizations. And it was only then that I started to realize that I had an addiction. I enjoyed stress, right? I threw myself into high pressure situations with different sets of constraints that all compounded into one enormous self-imposed to-do list. I theoretically was addicted to a chemical called cortisol. Cortisol is the stress hormone that's created in our adrenal glands. And when cortisol is released in your bloodstream, it acts on different parts of the body to help it deal with stress or danger. Uh, it's the chemical that's directly attributed to the way your body deals with fight or flight scenarios. But I want to level set. So my dependency on cortisol was not at the production level, meaning my body doesn't over or underproduce the chemical itself. There's actual diseases and syndromes and things where that actually happens. I just like to gamble on the way that my body would respond to cortisol, right? So I would always overcommit myself, banking on the fact that when I get stressed out or when I felt like I was procrastinating, I would always choose that fight part of the fight or flight, right? And then I would enter this transformed state of super creativity and crush whatever I was working on. And because I was a serial procrastinator, this is exactly what I was doing all the time with everything, whether it was homework, schoolwork, real work, work work, you know, at home cleaning stuff, like it didn't matter. Uh, and the challenge there is that for the longest time it seemed effective, right? Because I was meeting all my deadlines, I was creating what I thought was cool work, I was exceeding expectations both at the job and with clients. And I thought that this continual stress to me was basically triggering my flow state when I was working at my personal best, which is super ironic because there's a plethora of research that says in the midst of our stress, the amygdala, which is a part of our brain, are less capable of thoughtful, future-oriented thought than when we're not stressed out, right? So it's basically overwhelmed. And our brains basically are wired to deal with what's dubbed as present threat, like what's going on in the moment. And even though we uh, intellectually acknowledge that delaying another task would just lead to more stress, 
researchers are calling this phenomenon the amygdala hijack, where we willingly go, you know what, I'm not going to deal with the, 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 the stuff I'm delaying, I'm just going to deal with right now, right? Which intellectually, you know, is just stacking the stress, but we're willingly ignoring that in our brain, which is, it's crazy. And there's so much research into this phenomenon that there's people like uh, Dr. Fuchsia Saroy, which I have links to all this stuff so you can see it later. Um, but she's a professor of psychology at the University of Sheffield, goes on record and saying, when we procrastinate, we're not only aware that we're avoiding the task in question, but also that doing so is probably a bad idea, but we do it anyway. So procrastination is not just the thing we, we joke about. It's an actual brain mechanism in some way of delaying current threat for for what's perceived as present threat, so you're not storing long-term information. But what makes that interesting is uh, performance is something that's often tracked, whether at the job or privately or whatever. And when you try to tie that to creative output, there's so many different factors. For example, Adobe put out a survey uh, that said 71% of creatives produce 10 times more content than they did just five years ago, which uh, at face value is really cool, right? Just because of the sheer number of new tools that are out there, new content mediums, and new disciplines you can study and work under. But it's worth mentioning that this particular study was from 2015. So when I read this statistic now, I read it as 71% of creatives, us, are responsible for producing 10 times more content than they were five years ago. And that's terrifying, right? To give a wider workplace context, LinkedIn uh, reported in a Pulse survey from April of 2019 that 49% of today's workforce feels stressed at their jobs. That's almost half of our workforce experiencing stressful pressures, enough to quantify a voluntary survey. Right? This wasn't any kind of mandatory thing. So, and here's the kicker, right? The biggest drivers, work-life balance and workload, right? So all of this points to us not only working way more, but it means we're prone to increased anxiety. It also leads to the toxic form of comparison, which us in the creative realm call the comparison trap when you get stuck in loops, like comparing yourself to other people you work with or admire, right? Not acknowledging that their journey and learning styles, all that stuff is very different. And even worse, the idea of the Superman syndrome, where it's the feeling that if you have to swoop in and save the day, because if you don't, no one else will, right? Or the project will stop or, or some other perception. And all this does, you know, cumulatively is add pressure and stress to your plate. And some of this, unfortunately, we brought upon ourselves by nurturing and encouraging this hustle mentality, right? And we hear it more than we think. Practice, practice, practice. Just put more hours in. Things like that. There was a study published in March of 2019 by the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stress that claims that rest, early and often, plays just as important a role in cognitive function and learning new behaviors as this whole practice, practice, practice mentality that we've been preaching all these years. And the rhetoric we see though, and we hear you know, dubbed as motivational content on the internet, and sometimes in conference talks or other podcasts is about optimizing your time or hacking your schedule, right? Or worse yet, we see content like this, things that say, now is not the time to go easy on yourself, right? Or one day, all of your hard work will pay off, you know, work harder, right? Or you go on content hubs like YouTube and you see things like how to motivate yourself to work harder. You know, work in silence, let success make the noise. And don't get me wrong, you know, these videos uh, that I'm showing are about Will Smith and Elon Musk, and I'm big fans of those people, but this message is often so out of context and distilled that it makes this process just sound so simple. And I used to blame these famous folks for like devaluing hard work, right? And not acknowledging that all the stuff and time it took to get them there. But then I realized we as creatives did this to ourselves, right? It takes a video editor, a content marketer, a designer, a content writer, uh, someone to a social media manager to get this content out there. We're the ones taking this story of a long, hard work and trying to make a snippet of content to post and share and schedule. And then the, the best part is <laughs> after producing it, we're the ones that eat it up, right? We share it around, we hashtag it, and all it does is change our internal perceptions over time. Hustle and everything will be fine. Work harder and it'll all work out. Do more so you can stand out. Get more involved so you can make a name for yourself right? Or even more recent, did you know that the U.S. Army has developed an app so that you can calculate the right amount of caffeine to offset sleep deprivation? That's a real thing. This is not something I made up. Now, let me, here's a, here, I'll, I'll go even further. Let me read you a subhead from the article about the app. Here are a few examples of what the average sleep-deprived person in various situations would have to consume to achieve the same level of alertness that they would have with eight hours of sleep, right? Why encourage healthy habits when we can just drink more coffee, right? There's an app for that. There's no definitive attribute to this quote, but I'm pretty sure many of you have heard the phrase, 
find a job you like and you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah. But I like this version better and it's from a designer and artist named Adam J. Kurtz. And it says, do what you love and you'll work super effing hard all the time with no separation or any boundaries and also take everything extremely personally. Right. And for some reason, this feels way more accurate. You know, when do we make this shift though, is what I, I continue to ask myself. When do we decide that, you know, you should never turn your brain off or put the pencil down or give yourself time to breathe? You know, who decided that monetizing your hobbies or having side hustles were absolutely mandatory or the right thing to do? Not to mention the implication that if you're not working yourself to death or putting in all those extra, extra hours, then you're not being productive, right? It's a toxic way of viewing work ethic. And They've already done studies upon studies that say beyond that 45-hour that cliff, you're actually ineffective as a working human because you haven't given your chance to rest, right? But when we're hearing from, when we're only hearing things from, you know, quote unquote, those who've made it via this content that we're helping produce, it only makes sense that we're, we as a community idolize the struggle. We say and feel things like, if you're not freelancing, then you're not really creating enough. If you don't have a passion project, you're not exploring enough. If you don't have a side hustle, you're not serious about your craft. But what we seem to constantly forget is that we don't need to do everything to feel fulfillment. And we don't have to stress ourselves out to make work that matters, right? We shouldn't simply try to keep busy to try to counter the lack of fulfillment we're getting from the things we're doing and the people we're with. The whole, if you're not doing everything, then you're basically doing nothing mantra needs to die. And the irony is uh, a few years ago, uh, I was the worst culprit. Um, and I'll tell you a story, but... First, I want to see if we can, and it's a little difficult for live streaming, but I want to uh, take a heart rate reading together. Um, so those of you who have smart watches, do me a favor and activate the heart rate reader piece. And if you don't, either hold two fingers to your wrist, which for those on live stream, you can see it's kind of right here, right below your, uh, the, the cliff of your uh, thumb, um, or beneath your jawbone. As long as you can feel a pulse, then we're in the right spot. So when I say go, uh, we're going to count the beats and we're going to do it 15 seconds. Ready? So when I reach for the clock to restart, ready, set, count. So now multiply that number by four. And if you have to take your phone out or your computer, it's okay. We're designers, not mathematicians, right? That's your resting heart rate. So the average resting heart rate of an adult is between 60 and 90 beats per minute. Sometimes a little lower for those who are more athletically fit or a little higher for those who just had coffee, for example. But if your heart rate fell within that range, you should hear something like this. And I'm gonna see if this, this sound clip comes through. It's coming through? Yes. Right? So on June 29th, 2017, uh, I woke up dizzy, disoriented, and drenched in sweat with both my head and my chest pounding. Um, assuming I had a nightmare, I just slept terribly. I wandered into my bathroom to try and snap myself out of the state I was in. I washed my face, I took a shower, started getting ready for work. And the dizziness faded and as did the disorientation and obviously the sweat, but I still had this weird pitter patter happening in my chest. Thinking nothing of it, I instinctually texted my mom that my chest felt funny and then I proceeded to head to work. Yeah, this gets better. Uh, when I sat down at my desk, I was both winded and full of energy, which is a really weird combination of feelings. Um, and that pitter patter from before was still serving as quite the distraction while I was trying to begin work for the day. So I called a coworker into my office, prefacing that I had a pretty weird request. I asked her to put her hand on my chest, you know, over my heart to see if she was able to feel the sporadic twitching that I was feeling, you know, to make sure I wasn't going crazy. And she confirmed my suspicion, just saying that it didn't, it didn't feel normal or any kind of measurable pattern. So it was clear to me it was time to act. Um, so I first went to my doctor's office, who happened, you know, happened to be right around the corner from my office at the time. And he couldn't pinpoint what was happening either, so he recommended heading to the hospital. But instead of waiting for the ER and paying for an ambulance, I drove myself to the hospital uh, and my doctor called ahead. So when I arrived at the hospital, it was practically all hands on deck. There were doctors, nurses surrounding me applying EKG nodes, which stands for electrocardiogram. It's the thing they use to read your heart rate uh, electrical signals. They were setting up IVs for you know, IV drips and oxygen tanks. They even put me in a wheelchair because they were nervous that if I fell down that the <laughs> little five foot nurse that was helping me wouldn't be able to like drag me to the room. But you know, it was at this point that I realized that I had a resting heart rate of almost 180 beats a minute. So just to make that clear, you remember the heartbeat from before, that steady resting 60 to 90 beats per minute? Well, it sounds like this. And generally speaking, it looks like this. And what you're not seeing on the audio piece is uh, I have a picture of an electrocardiogram report um, that shows your heart rate. So this one's mine, and it's showing uh, a 75 beats per minute build. 
And this is what my heart rate should have sounded like and looked like while sitting stationary on a bed or in a wheelchair. Um, instead, it sounded more like this. Right, so you can see even just for those that are on the video, it visibly looks different, right? And when I look at this and then overlay this red line, you can see it's almost in every other beat. So even you, those who are listening in, you can hear it's almost double, right? Um, so the first thing they tried to do is see if they can chemically get my heart back into rhythm using the IV drip through some medicine. And when that didn't work, uh, it was apparent to me that it was time to update mom. Now, general note here, nothing good comes from starting the morning with I'm having chest pains and then minimal contact after that, right? Uh, knowing I'd been less than transparent and if I underwent any procedure without leaving, at least giving my mom a heads up, I'd probably leave the hospital in worse condition than when I was admitted. I realized it was time to call mom. The other interesting thing to mention about this is my mom had just had knee surgery uh, a few weeks before, so she couldn't drive. So she literally had to call an Uber to bring her from her house to the hospital. And when I decided to call, like the doctors were ready to go, but mom wasn't there yet and I couldn't give the green light. Not to mention, I mean, I was a bit scared. I mean, the next step they said was to put me under and try to shock my heart back into rhythm with the, you know, you think those paddles and they go clear. It's not as dramatic as that. They put on these little sticky things and everyone kind of backs up, but you know, it's still terrifying. And, and so when she arrived and her, her Uber got there and she was hobbling in with her, with her cane, uh, it was time to put me under. Now they struck me three times because uh, the first time didn't work and neither did the second so the increasing strength and after three shocks there was still no luck and the whole idea here was to restart my heart's rhythm to get it back into into order um, and because that didn't work this resulted in a two-day staycation at a hospital under constant observation which meant a bunch of blood tests scans pricks and prods and about a hundred of those little sticky pads i was talking about before that they use for the ekg machine and to give you some context they're like duct tape right so mind you i'm of italian and middle eastern descent so chest hair plus those sticky pads is not my ideal way of spending a Thursday. The diagnosis after passing all the other tests with a clean bill of health was something called stress-induced atrial fibrillation or AFib for short. The way it was ultimately explained to me is uh, an electrical overload to the chambers of my heart causing them to beat irregularly. Meaning instead of being sent signals of when to hit on the drum by the conductor, each chamber decided whenever it felt like that it could do its own drum solo. I picture it as two toddlers trying to drive a minivan, right? One's sitting in the seat and the other one's at the pedals. And when they're in sync, it's kind of scary. We don't know how it works, but they're driving relatively smooth, right? But when they're not, you've got the toddler at the pedals playing patty cake with the, with the brake and the gas, go stop, go stop. And the guy in the seat has no idea what's going on. In this case, I was that guy in the seat, right? And the tricky thing about AFib is there really isn't much that can be done to monitor or treat it unless you're currently experiencing the arrhythmia. And arrhythmia just means an irregular heartbeat. Um, doctors can speculate and make predictions, but when the normal causes, drugs, uh, old age past 55, well, old age, you know, I say old age, but 55 and above, uh, poor health, obesity, diabetes, when those things are ruled out, it's kind of just up to your body to do its own thing. Now, since that first instance in June, I've had three run-ins with these pesky toddlers, one of which my body worked out of itself uh, by the time I got to the ER, which is frustrating because I still had to be there for six hours for them to do their tests. And one time I had to go and get zapped to, to, I say zapped, but they had to paddle me to, you know, to get my heart back into rhythm. And another time I was able to regulate my heart rate myself with some breathing exercises, which you can do through some kind of guided meditation and a certain um, thing called, it's like bearing down where you hold your breath in certain intervals, which helps your heart kind of get back into rhythm. But the part that's even more weird uh, to the doctors at least is these incidents weren't triggered by any event, like a family problem, a missed deadline or shocking news. Um, I actually woke up in this hyper-accelerated room from a dead sleep, which they don't know if I was in it for 10 minutes or 10 hours, which is terrifying because generally speaking, the only thing this could lead to is a stroke. So this experience flipped my entire productivity game on its head, right? I was, like I said before, I was always the, I do my best work under pressure kind of person, right? The I'll channel the stress of everything on my to-do list to get into a flow state of maximum creativity kind of person. It's well known that stress is often a, intro or gateway to other forms of addiction, albeit drugs, bad habits, you know, wrong crowd, all that kind of thing. So in tandem, I thought maybe it was possible that my stress caused a loop in which I craved more stress instead of ways to cope with the stress, right? Being that my stress was generally or, or seemingly had a positive output, right? Productivity, that maybe my brain misread this false positive as a healthy behavior. 
And arguably, you can say that I may have been using a derivative of what's called the self-medication theory to cope with my stress, which basically suggests that people who are under increased stress are more likely to turn to drugs or other means as a way to decrease that stress. In my case, my drug is my to-do list. The more I had, the better I thought I'd feel, right? My brain didn't know how to regulate the stress I was currently experiencing and instead drowned it out with more work because it felt like something I can actually control. I essentially created this little toxic loop that I seemingly couldn't break. Right. Um, I read a quote from an author and stress management specialist named Debbie Mandel that reads, stress robs you of your identity, but doing what you love helps you crying it. Now, I think it's a really interesting quote, but it's not always the easiest thing to do. And sometimes, depending on the type of person, it can almost accidentally encourage overwork. Right. You're doing all this stuff, but if you do something you love as well, maybe you'll feel less stressed. So. For a few weeks after my diagnosis, I was a bit of a wreck. Uh, on the outside, I may have seemed calm and collected, but internally, anytime I even thought I was feeling some kind of pitter-patter or weird, I would immediately check my pulse. Some family and friends noticed I was constantly grabbing my wrist you know, and asked about it, but I don't think I personally was ready to address you know, what I was going through. And I even figured I can solve my little heart rate check obsession with technology, so I bought an Apple Watch. And to be honest, it gave me a sense of relief because I figured, um, you know, being that a good portion of the time I was manually checking my heart rate, it was phantom feelings anyway. But I figured with technology on my side, if there was any real emergency, it would catch it first. And while it was a bit of a crutch, it empowered me to worry less about it, which ultimately is for the better. But if I've learned anything from my AFib diagnosis, it's that all of this could have been avoided with four pretty basic steps. The first of which is to ask, right? You have to ask yourself tough questions. And these questions should cover three pretty basic constructs. You have to ask yourself about your tasks. Do you really have to do it all, right? Are these the things that are necessary right now? You have to ask yourself about the people around you. Are these the right people? Do they encourage your success? Are they helping you achieve whatever you're trying to achieve? Is it a productive atmosphere or positive uh, in, that, in that nature? And ultimately, you have to ask yourself, what's your plan, right? How does doing what you're doing or who you're doing it with lead to the next thing? And it doesn't have to be like a resounding large goal, but just, you know, what's next? You know, are you running around like a chicken without a head or is there some kind of method to this madness? Asking yourself the tough questions will lead eventually to lead stress, oh, lead, less stress. The second step has been edited, so the show remains a G rating, but you can fill in the dots for those of you who can see the slide. But the slide says F it, right? Um, it's time to trim the fat. If you really don't need to be taking on all of the work or tasks, it's time to start saying no, right? No to the projects you don't really have interest in, no to the tasks that will overload you, no to the plans you don't really want to participate in, no to the groups of people that invite you out and you don't want to be with, etc. And on the same note, sometimes you have to say F it to the people in your circle, right? That breathe nothing but negativity and stagnation, which is the hardest thing to do. But it's especially important if they're not building you up and you them, right? Your circle should be the ones clapping the loudest when you have success and be there to mentor you through your failures. If they're not, it's time for a new circle, right? And lastly, is your plan the right plan? Does it include the right pieces? No, F it. Saying F it, or at least what it equates to, uh, means less stress, right? Plus, uh, when you're not on a G-rated podcast, foul language can be fun. <laughs> the, the flip side of step two is step three. Um, to incubate. It's time to double down on the things that move the needle and the people and things that make you happy. And you can do this by incubating your time, your things, and your circle. So let's say you had two hours of time and your original plan or your normal plan of attack would be to pick two projects to start, albeit chores, a creative project, whatever. And currently the options on the table seem like one you kind of really like and one you really don't, right? And your normal plan of attack would be to split the time between the two because there's likely some value in doing both things. But I would argue, say like, no, right? You have this two hours, double down and give those two hours the one thing that brings you joy and ultimately furthers your goals, right? This also extends back to the people you surround yourself with. There's another speaker whose name is Jim Rohan, who's attributed with saying, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. It's time you curate and nurture your circle so that you can help each other succeed, right? Celebrate your circle's wins as if they were your own and always give more than you take. Incubating the things you enjoy leads to less stress, right? Now, the last is the simplest to explain, but the hardest to do. You have to learn to just be, right? Be intentional about the choices you make, the tasks you take on and the actions you carry out, and be present when making those decisions, working on those tasks and doing those things. According to Lauren Roche, a PhD and meditation instructor and author, there's over a hundred types of meditation practices. 
He says something like karaoke is a gateway to meditation. It's a joyous expression followed by relief. He goes on to say that individuals should pick an aspect of their life that they love and build a meditative practice around that. It's more about repetition and joy than it is about, you know, what's typically thought of as mental health. You know, practicing mental health doesn't mean sitting with your legs crossed saying om and trying to clear your head staring at the wall, right? Roche says it's through welcoming tension that you release it. And you can do this through that, that constant cycle of doing a, a joyous activity to give yourself that break. Being hopefully present and intentional as much as possible leads to less stress. Now, I think we can all use a little bit of AFib in our lives. And I don't mean this kind, right, where your heart's going crazy. But I mean this kind, where you ask, you say F it, you incubate, and you be. And it's important to remember that none of this happens overnight, right? Um, I've been trying to live by these principles since my hospital staycation, and I've still had three little episodes that I mentioned before afterwards. But it's a process, and now I'm a little over a year and a half without an incident. And the truth is, you know, I'm no expert, right? But I have learned that you have to be patient with yourself. You have to give yourself time to adjust and your body to adapt, especially if you're starting something new. I read another quote, and that doesn't seem to have any definitive origin, but I really like it. And it goes, destroy the idea that you have to be constantly working or grinding in order to be successful. Embrace the concept that rest, recovery, and reflection are essential parts of progress toward a successful and ultimately happier life. It's nice, right? The heart's an interesting organ because it controls a lot of things for you, but it can also be influenced by your behavior. If you treat it well, it'll treat you well, right? And by continually running through the four pieces of the AFib process, and they don't have to be in order, but hopefully you can keep your stress at bay and live a happy, more fulfilling life. Um, I'd encourage you to dive into some of the research and statistics that I've said today yourself, and those links will be in the show notes. But the more we collectively know, the better. Um, and the more you know, things we can find and document and, and learn about, I think the, the happier ultimately we can, we can create and curate our lives around. So let's read that to them. That was Taylor Cashdan, C-A-S-H-D-A-N.com slash stressful stuff. Okay. Yep. He's taking and I'm constantly step. adding new things to that as I find them or as I add pieces to this presentation. So it's a, it's a growing list. But that's, uh, that's all I got as far as the presentation goes. So let's go back to seeing each other's faces there where there we go okay so i know there may be so to me when i heard the story i was like oh my goodness you're young for this to happen right you were 24 at the time and you said you were like three weeks or five weeks away from turning 25 so now you're about to turn what i'm gonna turn 28 in july so i'm 27 now okay so 27 and you've had three episodes since then you really don't know how many episodes maybe you had before or didn't you just weren't aware. And I'm going to, my mom, my, but my mom's in her seventies, you know, um, she's not here today. Oh, well, uh, but she had this and she never felt it at all. So, but it can, it obviously is not good for you to be in the middle of it. And so I remember she was at the hospital. That's the only way they knew they were like, ma'am, are you okay? And she's like, why? She just really wanted a cigarette to be honest. Um, uh, but she was having some, she had had her gall or some sort of, what's the, that thing you can have taken out and it doesn't matter. It's not your tonsils. It's you got this gallbladder and there's no, like an appendix. Your, there's a yeah, appendix. She had had to have appendix surgery and it was so bad that she had to actually have the real surgery. Like it, they couldn't like suck it out with the straw or something that they can do with most people. Anyway, so the only reason they know she was having an AFib attack or whatever it's called um, episode is that they were monitoring her heart, but she didn't feel anything. She, yeah. and, and so sometimes it's, you may be putting yourself in the situation and, and you don't even really realize it. I think that for Taylor to wake up that way was again, weird. And it's also, I love that you had that about reflection. I think that's something I'm really trying to do. I think I tend to overstack my plate as well. I think a lot of us do, especially those of us that are entrepreneurs and are working for ourselves. Hey, the only way the money comes in is if you go to, if you get up and do the work every day. So this thing that was called a holiday on Monday, some of us didn't take a holiday, right? We just keep working because we may have full-time jobs, but then we have to work our side our side thing or if we have a podcast or we're doing something else during that right 
And the so, hard part is it gives you joy, right? It brings that right? happiness. And it's hard to recognize when you're hitting that cliff of like, all right, this is too much, right? And I, I want to circle back to something you said. So to be clear, heart flutters are totally normal, right? To, to feel a pitter-patter like that every once in a while, it's not a big deal. It's when it becomes a pattern that it's an issue. And the bigger concern with my weird case is that it didn't happen. Like it wasn't sitting here and all of a sudden I felt it, right? I was sleeping and it was drastic enough that it woke me up. That's the bigger concern in, in my particular case, because they didn't know if it was a heart attack or if it was, you know, a stroke or something else with the organ. Um, but I, I just want to freak anybody out. Like you will feel pitter patters. It's totally normal. Flutter is a thing, you know, that whole butterfly in your stomach thing, you know, when people are like, falling for each other, whatever, that's the, that's the feeling they're talking about. So it's totally okay. Um, it's when it becomes constant, right? Or you start to realize, oh, I'm working on this project and now I'm feeling it. Like that's, that's your body telling you something and you have to be able to recognize it and, and adjust it accordingly. And sometimes your heart is going to speed up, but it's not going to be that, that uh, 10 hours, right? It's, and it's that you can't get it in. So the, I love that you one had to do some meditation because before meditation was not something that was part of your daily practice, right? No, I thought it was a crock of crap. And then when you start to realize what it actually does for you, it's, it's pretty crazy. So what were you, did you use a free app? What were you Yeah, using? so, uh, well, as soon as I realized like I wasn't handling this whole thing well, I went and, and saw a therapist. So I highly recommend that by the way, because that's well worth the money. You know, you go to a, you cough a little bit, you go to the doctor for a cold, you can go to the doctor if you're not feeling funny in your head. But so I went to a therapist and my whole goal was, Hey, can you teach me how to do this? Right. From a, a professional standpoint, because I think it'll help. So he turned me on to an app called Headspace. And what's nice about Headspace is like, they're not this like 35 minute, 40 minutes sitting quiet in a room thing. Like you incrementally move up. Like you start doing two minutes and then three minutes and then five and then seven. And like, I got up to 20 minutes before it started feeling weird. And I was like, I'm not going to sit here for 40 minutes, but it doesn't, you're not required. Like you can choose your duration. So it gets you into it nice and slow. And it tells you, you know, here's how you clear your head. Here's how you just, you know, do things. Don't, you know, be mad at yourself if you get distracted, right? It's all part of the, the puzzle. So it's great. So that, that's the app I used to use. So I've used that one too. And it does have super cute little graphics that like walk you through things. So if you are a designer, you'll really like, it kind of looks like those, I don't even know what that um, phone company. Like drops. Yeah, but it's that phone company. What's that phone company with those furry little creatures? Oh, I know what you're talking about, but I can't remember the name of it right now. Oh, that's terrible that we can't. Cricket? Maybe it's, cricket, yeah, maybe. Cricket. Yeah. Anyway, they sort of look like that same sort of cute fun character. What's nice about Headspace too is it's got stuff like that'll just help you wind down. Like there's specific meditations for like sleep, you know, and it tells you like how to like relax your body. And those are awesome. Like if you don't use them for regular meditation, but like you're a person like me and just sits in bed, like, all right, time to go to bed now. Like go to sleep brain. Like that was, it was perfect for that. Like it would get me to sleep in 20 minutes, which is crazy when you think about, you know, how long it would normally take. So For, for me, it's done when I was using it, it was when I would wake myself up in the middle of the night and I would be so stressed about something, I would use that headspace to go. And there's like a paid version where it's like $12.99, but there's also a free version. And you can just do the same thing over and over. And there's another one called Calm. There's lots of other things that for me, my anxiety um, spurs itself on in the middle of the night and I wake up and I'm up for three hours or something, right? So this helps me to have a longer, better um, sleep. Yeah. Okay. So I have a couple questions. Um, how, how has having this uh, diagnosis changed your life? Like what were some of the first things you did when you got done? Um, I mean, did you keep the same job? What, what was the, what was yeah. life like? So the first thing I realized was when I was sitting in the hospital bed, my whole thing was like, I need to let my boss, I'm not going to be into work tomorrow. So I'm like on my computer and I'm on my phone and the nurse was like, no, like took the stuff from me and set it aside. She's like, I need you to rest and not do anything. I was like, yeah, but like, I have to like, and then it like clicked in my head. I was like, oh my God, like I'm putting all of this pressure that I've got from the workplace in front of my own health, but I'm literally in a hospital bed. So it was pretty clear that it was time, it was time for a job change. Um, I needed to be in an environment that was a little more healthy and understood, you know, what it was like to, to have creatives work for you and that kind of thing. So I had great coworkers, uh, but the, the job itself just wasn't, wasn't right. So I, uh, I changed jobs. That was kind of the first, well, I started looking, it wasn't instant to be clear. Job searching takes a long time. Um, and 
you know, I applied to over 200 positions and you get maybe 10 callbacks, if that, and then maybe one or two interviews. And that's partially because they never take the listing off the internet. Like recruiters, take the stuff down. But that's a whole different discussion. So, you know, I, I switched jobs. That was kind of my first thing. And while I was doing that process, um, I had to dial back, not only because I had to make time for interviews and, and emails and sending out resumes and stuff, but I realized like I didn't need to take on a freelance project every single month. Right? That was my thing. If I could do it in a month, it'll be fine. It's manageable. But I was doing that. Then I was also doing the job search thing or working. Um, I had a social life. You know, I was trying to do all this stuff with, with professional organizations and go to conferences and all this other jazz. And I realized like I had to start pruning. Like what was the things that really got me joy? Not that I was committed to and had to stick with because I felt obligated. So I started cutting it out, right? I finished up as many projects as I could that I, that I you know, had obligations to. So I wasn't leaving anybody high and dry. But then I kind of stopped taking on freelance work. Um, and then when I got to the new job, uh, I was there for a few months and, and then they had a big layoff. So that was just another stressful event all in the same year. But um, I was there for about five months. But during that time, like I made a commitment to myself. I was like, I'm not going to take on any freelance work while I'm at this new job, at least in the beginning. So I can get into the flow. I can concentrate on learning the people, learning the products, learning the work so that I would really feel like I'm putting my eggs in the basket where they need to be for the moment. And that meant when I got home, I didn't have to come back to the computer and turn my brain back on. And then I can go be social. I can watch a movie. I can think about, you know, stuff that wasn't work related. Or if I scheduled it right, I can come home and be like, all right, tonight I'm going to work on this thing I wanted to work on, right? Or that client commitment that I forgot about. But it became more planned out as opposed to this, oh my God, I got to get all these things done. When am I going to get it finished? And then I just tried my best to continue that, that habit structure. So I think that's one of the things that I deal with is that I am like, oh my gosh, I'm going to forget something. So that constant list of having um, things that I have to do. Uh, one of the things that I'm trying to do is have just three things that I want to get done in a week, right? Like have three main objectives. Now, granted, my list is usually longer than that, but it's something I'm working on. It's not something I'm great at yet. But I think I think having a list helps so that I don't forget something because oftentimes we can forget something, but it's that I think us not saying no. So you saying no to freelance work or just not um, pimping yourself out sometimes, right? Because somebody will say, oh, I really need this. And then you're like, well, I could do that for you. It's kind of like keeping your mouth closed. But it's also uh, choosing to say, you know what, I can't do it, but my friend Doc can do it. Or right. sending it out to people, understanding who your circle is and the people who really want to do this or need the opportunities, instead of just shutting it down, that you share those opportunities with somebody else. And I sure. think that that builds a stronger network as well. So then when you need something, you can reach out to them. When they need something, they reach out to you as well. So it, it and when you're sending things other people's way, unless it's just a terrible client, you know, usually people are happy because you never know where they were. They right, might've really needed that. For sure. And I, I think there's a additional layer to that. Like not, not everyone freelances. Right. And in my particular case at the first job, I was the, the only designer. Right. So I, there was, if something creative needed to be done, it was me. There was no other option. Right. So it, it was always on my to-do list. But when I started working on a team, I realized that I was, allowed and encouraged to say no to a project. Like if an immediate need came in and I was already working on something, I could call one of my teammates to help and step in. It didn't mean that because it came to me, I had to do it, right? So in a workplace, you can lean on your coworkers to, or hopefully your boss, if they're a good quality boss, to help play that defense for you. Um, you know, if you're not one that does freelance and that way it's spreading that, that, that stuff. So you're giving, you're, and you're working on a reasonable amount of things instead of trying to be that Superman and, and do all of the things all at once, whether it's inside work or outside. I think that's something also that when I've had Dustin on, he's recently hired a project manager just part-time, you know, and I think having something like that, we tend to be like, oh, well, I can do that. But it really frees us up is even if it's just a small amount of time that you're paying somebody to do for us who are our own lonely onlys at our own, we are our own boss, having a project manager, one of the things that I think Dustin really liked, and I can see how this would work, is that we don't have to keep all that stuff on our on our heads, like top of mind. So we got it. It's that when you're talking about that one part of the brain, the, yep. I can't amygdala. remember, amygdala. So to me, the other great part is that they are that gatekeeper. And I was watching one of my favorite TV shows last night and it's like the, it was, 
I don't even know what the, I think it's called the resident it takes place in Atlanta and it's these doctors and these, this one doctor's learning internal medicine, which those are the people who stay in the hospital and then the ER, the ER, hopefully these people get released. Well, the internal medicine guy was like, look, you are, I don't even, the gatekeeper or something. And it's like, in a way, that is what a project manager is supposed to be. Nope, we can't do this right now. How important is this? And they help the client assess the, um, you know, severe severity, yeah. you know, of that project sure. and that time frame. And I think sometimes people come to us in that manic mode. And I think we, if we don't have a project manager, we need to start employing that part of ourselves to say, instead of just being thankful that we have so much work coming in or thankful for any job coming in, that we have that project manager role and we ask those questions to the client of how critical is this? When is the drop deadline? Like when is the event or when is the, you know, what are we losing by not having this implemented yeah. right now? And I think sometimes there can be small things implemented so that the business can keep rolling. And then there's sometimes there are stages of implementation. I especially think of like when you're launching a website or something, it doesn't have to be all there before you launch. You can, sure. launch. what are the bare minimums that you can have and then having a plan of when to get that out. I think that's what a project manager does. And if we are not um, engaging in the project manager part of our brain, which has to do with reflection, taking sure. time and thinking, right? Um, we can't always be on the treadmill. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about. Well, and there's another layer of abstraction too, for those who don't want to go that project manager route. Like I have found it better for me to find someone to collaborate on a project with. Like I've geared like any project that I'm in my head, like any project I take on for 2020 has to be one with someone, right? Mm -hmm. Because I found that in my, in last year in, in doing some solo work and some partner work, first of all, I had a lot more fun working with other designers or creatives or whomever, whether it be a photographer or a web designer or whatever. Not only can you take on quote unquote bigger projects, right? Because you're, you're diversifying your skill set, but it's that same thing. Like you've got someone in your corner to discuss the terms, to, to vent with, to talk through the project with, that you've got now the two of you accountable. So if you're that, that solopreneur, like we were talking about before, like there's a beauty in, in hiring your friends to be part of your project, right? Not only do you get to charge more because you're adding skill set to the, to the thing, but, or even if you don't charge more and you're just taking some of the onus off yourself, like there's a lot of things you can intertwine by bringing more people into the fold. And it's all about that community piece you mentioned before. Right. So I'm, I'm thinking of Amy as a lonely only in Raleigh, but she loves it. Right. And I think a lot of us are like Amy and we like to have control and it is so difficult. Like, oh, why absolutely. did you not name that file correctly? You interned, right? Like, why did you call it Diane's whatever? It's not for Diane. It's for blah, blah. Right. And I had a, a kid send me something back today and I was like, ugh look, I need you to name that PDF as version two. You know, it's like right. the things that I've told them in class, but they're just not putting together. It's like, oh, the peanut butter goes on the knife before you put it on the bread. <laughs> oh, I got it. Yeah. But but it's, it's actually knowing if you're going to get an intern and somebody not as, that they don't even know that there's a naming way to do things. So right. there's a whole language barrier there and you have to give yourself a break. And then there's also the fact if you have somebody that has been, they've been around, so they're going to cost more. But if they understand and they might ask you, well, how do you want me to name this? What, you know, how's the best way for me to communicate with you? They might ask those questions. And I think sometimes the delegation gets to a point where we get so frustrated because it's somebody new and they're new to the industry Absolutely. that we're like, forget it. I'm just going to do it myself. But in the end, yeah it is better to have them on. It just, you need to plan that it's going to take two weeks to get this kid on, you know, track. Yeah. You have, you have to plan an onboarding and there's, there's no reason why you shouldn't have a Google doc or something for yourself that explains your process, even just to be able to go through the exercise yourself of remembering what you do. Because it, when, when I was working on a very recent project with a, with a friend of mine, she was working on the web development part and I was working on the brand. And we had to intertwine our deadlines into a structure that made sense for the client, but also made sense for us and when passing off assets and all that. So before we even pitched to the client as this joint project, like we had to level set ourselves, go, okay, what is your schedule? And mine was like, 
I work after my day job and it's going to be mostly on Sundays because that's what I've allotted to freelance work. She does that full time. So we had to make check-ins for ourselves of like when we would touch base and what, where we would store files and whatever. So that when it came time to like talk to the client, we already had our crap together. There was never a question of, well, where'd you put that thing? Or did you bring that file? Or, oh no, this is named draft when we meant to have it final before we send it over. Like it's that level setting. But I think you're right. Part of that's experience, right? Having been through collaborative projects where it had gone wrong, <laughs> right? You learn what you need to have written down or what you need to have agreed upon before you walk in the door. But what I think is nice is there's so much, so many resources out there, so many people you can talk to now that like you can find out this stuff and avoid some of those initial pitfalls, those speed bumps. Like we're now telling people on the call, like if you're going to do this and you don't have this already set up, do this first, right? That could be your starting point instead of walking into that partnership or that, that intern's office or whatever, and then becoming this problem. So. Right. Right. Okay. So back to the questions. So one of the things, and I know we have like nine minutes left. So think about these as rocket fire questions. Um, Speed answer. Yeah. How have you, what is the one thing that's helped you the most in being able to change habits? Cause that's really what this is, right? Uh, admitting that I don't know it all and reflecting like that, admitting that my, the, my way of doing things may have not been the right one to start and then trying something new. Cause the worst case scenario, you go back to what you were doing. So how have you incorporated reflection in your day-to-day? Uh, I used to journal every night, uh, but then I found out I was journaling more when I was upset than when I was happy. So what I started doing is I would journal if I was upset, like writing long prose. But in the back of that notebook, like every time something great happened, like a client meeting went well or a pitch at work went well, or I bought a new pair of shoes, I would write down the date and the thing that happened. So that at the end of the year, the month, the day, the week, whatever, I can look down that highlight list of like, Oh, so it wasn't all bad. Like when all I did was write about bad stuff to get it out of my, out of my chest, you know, there's all these good things that happen too. And it helps you have a perspective of like what you've been doing all this time. You know, when you've got this list of like, okay, some, some crap happened and that's normal. That's life, but here's all the good things. Right. So you can stop beating yourself up about it. Right. Andre says like a year review, maybe we need to do a week review. Right. And then oh, maybe the, the more granular, wasn't... the better. Right. Okay. So you changed jobs after you got uh, this, uh, prognosis or diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So having a new, you we're just in the middle, right? Like this is like you learning how to deal with this. I know you've changed jobs since then even. So what are some things that you incorporated now that you understand your body better, what you need? What are some things? Cause changing jobs can be super, super stressful. So yep. what are some things that you did this time um, that you didn't that weren't part of your normal things maybe you stopped doing so I, I think the first thing is i started setting some rules for myself when i was looking for new jobs um the first of which was like i do not want to work alone again so i was i was i basically and i was in a position to do this and i know that not everyone is but i just i didn't entertain any options that were solo gigs where i'd be the only creative because i knew i could not thrive in that atmosphere and i knew what it did to me the first time so i immediately was like okay Got to have a team, at least three people or more was like my stipulation. So I started making a list, right? So it was that, it was flexible hours because at my old job, they were like, you need to be here between this time and this time, or we're going to be mad at you. And it's like, but that's not how workflow happens. And everyone leaves at three o'clock. Why do I have to be here till five? You know? So like I, I, some stipulations. Um, I also wanted a manager that, that understood the work I was doing. So I had a marketing manager before who had a marketing background, which is great, but it's hard to explain sometimes process uh, to someone who's not in the industry. So those are my three like big job ones. And then I had a bunch of stuff like different benefits and what I wanted to look for for distance and being real with myself about how long did I want to drive to work versus being at home and all those kinds of things. So that was the job related stuff. Personally, I made sure that when I got home, like I either had my little punch list of things I needed to get done or I had the evening clear, whether that meant for social stuff, for uh, you know relaxing and watching movies, whatever it was, but that I made sure that like, when I was trying to plan ahead that I did not have something planned every night after work. So that okay. I had time to have a day to detox. Even if I was like itching to hang out with people or be social was just like, I need time by myself to just veg and just sit and do nothing. Um, Which was definitely one, not part of what your normal life had been with the AFib. No, if you would have looked at my calendar pre 2018, I mean, it was like every night had something, three things, four things. And then it was like, then was my to-do list. 
And most of it was like client obligations or like I told a friend I would help them do this or I just wanted to go out to dinner or whatever, which a pack schedule is great, but it doesn't give you a chance, a chance to breathe. And if you're a person like me who doesn't get to bed till 2 a.m. because they just can't sleep early, that means you're getting four to six hours of sleep at best, right? And then redoing it every day. And that's not whether you can drink coffee or Red Bull or whatever, your body may not give you the sign of like, look, you need sleep, but you need sleep. Right. And I'm not about like, you need the eight hours, but like you need to find what works for you. And that's not always the same for everybody, but finding that balance is helpful. Okay. So we have five minutes left. I really wanted to get this across. One of the things that your new job that we've talked about, I think with any job you go to, one, you have to have a team, right? For you personally. Now, some people, Amy's like, no, I don't want a team. I'm good on my own. I need some place that gives her more time, maybe to be more creative. Sure. But what about, um, you, uh, did you understand, because I think one of the things that you and I have talked about that we didn't really talk about today is communication. So this is actually also something that was really important to you. One, you, you knew you wanted to be a part of a team, but really what you do is you communicate in a way that treats everybody that they're on the same playing field, right? Um, but I don't know if you understood that uh, superpower of yours or not. Um, when you were looking for a job. And so I think sometimes as you're looking for a place that's going to understand like a manager who understands the, the industry and what some of the processes are, it's also important yep. for you to understand, for each of us to understand what our superpowers are. Did you, do you think you understood what that was? Cause really kind of tell them the little bit of story you told me in uh, two minutes that yeah, you yeah. So, talking to other people and getting to that end result. Yeah, it, it's even surprising to me today. I think that uh, I was raised to treat everyone the same, right? And what I mean by that is like, whether you're a janitor or an owner of a company, like you can still have a conversation, right? You're still two humans in a room. So for better, or for worse, whenever I was in the room with people that were, you know, quote unquote, higher ranked than I was, I was still the same person that would be like, hey, how are you, Tom? You know, let's have a conversation about the, the weather, whatever it is. So people and what I found is there was a lot of people either that were same age group same level in the company that felt intimidated or thought that because that person is higher up they weren't allowed to talk to them right or they couldn't you know break a conversation first they had to wait and I never learned that so I never did it right and what's great about that is it's you know and it sounds showboaty but like you know like I have constant like chats and dms with my like boss's boss just casually because we had a conversation once and he liked what we were talking about and we just keep in touch. Like, and apparently that's very weird to people, you know, and I didn't realize that up front, but, and once I realized I could lean into that um, and, you know, be a little more parasitic with it and use it to my advantage, it became a, a thing that helped me do my job better. Right. I, I can talk to people of any experience level, any age. And I credit this 100% to like my education background because they teach you how to talk to toddlers, which are basically the same thing as executives, right? When you have to explain things to them that they don't understand and they didn't know beforehand because they didn't know, you have to put it in a way that they'll get it, right? And because of that, like I've been able to, to do what I've been able to do or whatever, to be able to talk to people um, without a barrier that I think some folks bring into the situation uh, intentionally or unintentionally. And I think it's just important to remember that like, no matter who you're talking to, where they are in the spectrum of skill or, or stature, like they're just people and you can have a conversation with them the same as you could anyone else. So by understanding that skill now at the next place, and I know you're not looking for a job now, but um, <laughs> at the next place, there will be this, you may in those interviews say, this is something else and I'm able to offer because yes. it, it may be not something that you understand as a um, superpower when you're, unless you take time to reflect or unless you take time right. to talk to people about what this is or what, what you do and what seems to get good reactions or seems exactly. to kind of, um, put people off. I think it's good to kind of have a mirror to, to some extent of someone who's really going to tell you, Hey, you know, sure. that was weird. You know, do you? It's finding also honest people that are willing to tell you that, right? right. And you you may only find one or two in your life ever, but those one or two, like, hold on to them dearly because those people that'll tell you, like, hey Taylor, that was really weird. Like, those are people you want to keep in your corner because they're the ones that's going to help you understand what your superpower is as you're going forward. Right. It's those people who really love you. Okay, so 
We are at the 2.30 mark, so I want to make sure, or 2.30 our time, Andre, it's like 7 o'clock, 7.30, 8.30 his time. Um, how do you recharge and what inspires you? Uh, I play with my dog. That's number one. Something just always works with that. Uh, I try to get dinner with friends that aren't in the design realm so I can distract myself from the design stuff. Uh, and then I try when I can to just, like, I've been really bad about not making things for myself. Like, even if it just means trying a tutorial. So making without the client stipulation, pets, big advocate, uh, and friends outside of the industry to get yourself distracted from the stuff you've been dealing with all day. I think those are all really good. I like the friends outside the industry too. Did you get your dog? Did you already have your dog when you had this episode? Oh yeah. Yeah. I've had him since he was uh, 14 weeks old. He used to be like this big and now he's 80 pounds. And I know, but I don't know how old he is. Oh, he's six. Sorry. Okay. I'm like, well, well, you could have gotten him last week at 14 weeks old. Like, (laughs) buddy, I I don't know. Okay. (laughs) Um, uh, so what advice would you give your younger self? And at what age would you tell yourself this? Yeah, I would go back to probably college or high school and tell myself that like, you're on the right track, stop worrying so much. Because a lot of the things that I overcommitted to is because I was worried it wasn't the right thing or I needed to do more or to stand out or whatever. Just to be like, look, trust your gut, even at like a younger age, like it's going to be fine. Like it'll work out. Just keep talking to people, keep doing what you enjoy doing and you know, it's going to be all right. So I, I love that because I think even as kids, we maybe don't trust our gut and it's like, you need your parents to kind of talk you through, well, how did that end up when you trusted your gut? What was, what were you feeling? And I think that would be a great like conversation. If I had a kid, that'd be the conversation we'd have tonight. Um, But you can tell your students, right? (laughs) That's what it comes down to. That's true. About making decisions and Hey, how did it work out or whatever? And then reflection. Yep. Yeah being able to, that's great. Okay. So we are out of time. I'm going to share these. If you do not know, uh, Taylor, I suggest you follow him. I'm going to, all these are going to be below as well as, um, they're in the chat here as well, but they will, if you're on YouTube, they'll be there. If you are on, um, wherever else you might be listening, um, it's below if you just look at the show notes and then they will be at, um, RechargingYou.com slash 327. All of them will be there as well with, with the show notes whenever my intern gets to doing that. Sarah, come on. Come on, Sarah. Let's get that done. Um, you guys can encourage her. No, I'm just kidding. Um, she's got a lot going on too. So try not to be, make it extra stressful. But I'm going to read. So it, is LinkedIn the best place for them to reach you? Because that's the one you have listed first. Uh, yeah, LinkedIn or Instagram is where I check most often with regard to like design stuff. Yeah. Okay, so just Taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R-C-A-S-H-D-A-N. And on LinkedIn, on Drivel, on Behance, Twitter, uh, Instagram. It's great that you've been able to do that. If you want to check out his portfolio, you can check it out, taylorcashdan.com. Medium, you're also, you write some on Medium, same Taylor Cashdan. And then um, you have online stickers, you have a side project, the black, black soul club, which it did seem like you still have a lot of side projects, just so you know, but maybe you don't put yourself, uh, as that much one's collaborative though. That's pressure. where Tara Victoria, who you had on the oh, last Okay. Uh, yeah, that's right. A couple <laughs> weeks ago. Okay. And, um, and then if you want, just in case you forgot, uh, the link, I'd already posted it once, but we're going to do it again. It's stress, taylorcashian.com slash stressful stuff. That's just normal how you spell all that. And then you can find some of these. And he said, again, he's always adding to that. But Taylor, thank you so much for doing this today. And I, um, I'm i excited. So just so you guys know, next month, this month was all about mental health. Next month is about loving on each other. And it's the month that we have claimed as love on designers. And I hope you'll join me. I'm going to talk a little bit about that next week. And I'm starting a three-part series. I think it's the three-part I think it's three part, three, three things. Again, something I'm trying new to is to come on and do a little bit of talking, talking. I talk all the time, but a little bit of teaching um, every so often. So at least four times a year, you'll get a little bit from me trying some different things. I think it's always good to try, but if you guys um, would love it, if you would hit subscribe and hit like and share it with somebody, that would be great. And I appreciate it. And we will see you guys next week. Hey, thanks so much for watching. You can follow Design Recharge on almost all the social channels. Planets is what I almost said. Not that. It sort of feels like a planet sometimes. 
at rechargingyou.com and then on all the social planets at design recharge. And if you want to find the full show notes for this episode, you'll find them at rechargingyou.com slash three, two, seven. And we are working on getting new show notes, like everything, all the chat and things like that. Maybe not all the chat, but anything that was shared, there were links, things like that are all going to be in the show notes as well as transcription. So looking forward to being able to put those out for y'all. It will end up at that address. So I just want to let you know that Recharging You helps creative entrepreneurs uncover and utilize their strengths. And we educate you um, and help you reach your business goals and your creative goals through online training, coaching, and by sharing stories of hope through Design Recharge. You can join us live each week if you didn't know, and you can become part of the Design Recharge family. And all you have to do is subscribe and you get this link uh, that's going to allow you to come to the live recording. And in there, there's a chat where you can actually you know, be a part of everything and you can add something. And I read them aloud right then a lot of times, especially if you have a question that comes up during, it's really fun. So I wanted you to know, you can sign up at rechargingyou.com slash sign up, S-I-G-N-U-P, right? You can also leave a review and you can share it with your friends. This is one of the best ways to support the channel and the podcast is to leave a review on iTunes or Google Play or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. So definitely please subscribe to the channel. Leave a comment on an episode either at rechargingyou.com slash whatever episode it is, like this one's 327. Or you can also leave a comment on YouTube. I'm going to start ramping up the patron Um series that we'll be doing and you can support the channel that way the pod in the podcast for even a dollar a month each level of support has extra benefits and tiers that each tier has different rewards that are delivered to the patrons only and you can check that out at patreon.com slash diane gibbs my favorite way to build websites is with the elementor plugin i know i've talked about this a lot it does make almost any wordpress theme invincible and it's really changed the way that i've been able to design websites you can use this affiliate link to purchase the plan that's right for you. There's a free plan. And then when you're ready to purchase, use this link. It's bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash capital D, capital R, and then Elementor. So D-R Elementor, capital D, capital R. And Timely is the app that I use on my computer or my phone to track my time. I don't know if you guys are like this, but I'm terrible at it. And I will end up not tracking my time all week. And then at the end of the week, I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I do? Or even at the end of the day, right? If you're better than me, for sure. Um, but that's one way to do it. And Timely has this stalker option. They call it the memory option. Um, and I love it because it tells me, oh, you sent this email or you were doing emails for this or you were um, on this website especially as I'm working on a website, building a website, I spent this much time. And so it's tracking your time and I can just easily go back and it's tracking for, you know, many weeks. I have mine tracking for many months because just in case I've missed something, I can go back and look. With Timely, with this link that you're going to get is you can try it, try it for 14 days. And also you're going to, with this link, you're going to receive a 10% discount once you activate your subscription after those 14 days. And just so that you can make sure that Timely is right for you. And there are different tiers of that as well. It was right for me. And here's the link, bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash D-R Timely. And the D-R is all lowercase on this one. So D-R-T-I-M-E-L-Y. So I just want to tell you, thank you. Hit subscribe, hit like, and definitely give me a comment. I want to know what you think. This has been an interesting month. I have had great response and I'm very thankful. And I think next month when we are loving on designers, it's going to be even better. I hope you have a great week and we'll see you next week.